Well, g'day everybody, and welcome back to the extras. I'm Sam, and I'm Jack, and it's good to be back with you uh, into a, a normal part of the year, back in the rhythm, back in the saddle, and uh, looking forward to uh, tackling lots of your questions via the extras this year. And I uh, hope you've had a great summer and uh, and are ready to go around again. How was your summer, Jack? Yeah, wonderful. Really great time of the year. I got to be a part of lots of new people coming to church. It's exciting to see lots of people joining us and coming to check out the ministry here. Mm. Summerfest was amazing. How good was Summerfest? Yeah. Such a good, such a good week. Yeah. What about you, Sam? Anything yeah, else? fantastic. Um, yeah, much of the same. Um, got got a few weddings over the summer period as well, which hey. was nice. And uh, one super hot one and one quite mild one, which was, which was nice. Temperature-wise, that is. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> all seasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, giving thanks to God for all this great rain that we've, we've had over the last couple of days. It's been yeah, very, I mean. very good. Mm. Yeah. Now, uh, we're back with the extras and uh, where we answer your questions from Sundays. And Jack, you've been teaching, you and Mike together uh, have been yep. teaching uh, this. Uh, we're doing a, a series over these sort of this first month of church. Um, we're calling it Healthy Things Grow. That's uh, right. Tell, tell us a little bit about that series and about um, what we did on Sunday. Yeah, so we're really talking about what does it mean to be a healthy disciple of the Lord Jesus. Here at St. Paul's, we want more and more people to become disciples and to follow Jesus, believe in him, trust in him. But we don't, like, that's not just a, you know, you become a disciple once and then that's it. You know, we, we kind of move on. We, we, we want to be growing as disciples, always getting more and more fit and healthy to stand the test of time and, and go the distance with mm. Jesus and, and run the race with him. Yeah. So we're thinking about what are the things that are going to help us grow? How do we how do we even start growing? What does that mean? That's kind of the aim for this particular series. So this Sunday we, we kicked it off and we started at the beginning, which is starting with the love of our Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. We got to think about how Jesus has loved us. He says, you know, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And we thought a bit about this huge, vast love that Jesus has shown throughout mm-hmm. his life and as he poured out his life for us on the cross. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you. I, I love just getting to think about it and, and rejoice in that. Yeah, I thought, mm. yeah, it was a great time for me. I hope it was yeah. for all those who got to be a part of it too. <laughs> nah, so what an encouraging thought, isn't it? That, that mm. God God loves us in the same way uh, that, that he's shown love to his son. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's remarkable. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's a great, great thing to reflect on the love of God for us. Um, and thinking about the love of God, particularly thinking about the cross and all those things that uh, that we uh, focused on on Sunday, um, raised a bunch of questions for people, and mm. uh, we tackled some of them uh, live on Sunday night. And uh, now we've got a whole bunch of extra ones that we're trying to uh, chase up here. So let's dive in and uh, see if we can make sense of these. Um, one of the places that you took us to on um, Sunday was into John 13. So we're, we're focusing on John 15, but mm. you took us back to John 13. Yeah. Um, and uh, someone's texted in and, and noting that in John 13, he, he sort of um, sets this whole section up by saying, look, I'm going to the Father. And, and actually, we're getting very close in this whole discourse. We, we're right before Jesus is about to die on the cross. It's yeah. the night before kind of thing. Um, and uh, he says, I'm going to the Father, but... Someone has texted in and said, look, wasn't the whole point of the moment where Jesus was punished that he was not with the Father at that moment of the death? And, mm. and, and how does that work? So either Jesus is going to his Father or he's kind of being sort of, you know, not, not with his Father, forsaken by his Father, yeah. that, that kind of idea. How do, how do we think about this? And, and is that a right way of thinking about it? Yeah, really helpful question. And yeah, this is something that's so deep and important for us to think about. I think part of the tension we feel is there's really two facts, two like 
pegs in the ground that I'd want to hold together. Two things the Bible teaches that do seem to be intention. Mm. The first of those things is this idea that, yeah, what happened at the cross was horrific and extremely serious. So you've got that language that Jesus used on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, I mean, you see in the Garden of Gethsemane as well, right? Like, you know, Lord, if you're willing, take this cup from Mm -hmm. me. You know, what was happening there was was a big deal. Yeah. Even through that, though, the other side of the coin is the, the Gospels just make it so clear that Jesus and the Father are utterly and completely united. So you might see that in, in somewhere like like John 10, verse 30, where Jesus just says it really simply, I and the Father are one. Mm. That's the kind of thing, especially in John's gospel, you see him saying again and again, you know, the Father who sent me, like we, we're working together, we're on the same page. There's this, there's this real unity to what Jesus and his Father are doing. And that's a unity that's fundamental to who God is. It's mm. not that Jesus is separate from God. Jesus and the Father are one from eternity, you know, one God, three persons, Doctor of the Trinity kind of stuff. Mm. So what the, the question we're really wrestling with is, how do you hold those two things together? If Jesus yeah. and the Father are one, what does it mean for God to forsake the yeah. Son? I think, I mean, one verse that I was reading that helped me to think about it, John chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Mm. Uh, Jesus is, he's talking to the Jews, and he says... When you have lifted up the Son of Man, which is one of the ways he talks about the cross, you know, when you've lifted me up on the cross, then you'll know that I am he uh, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So it seems even as Jesus is talking about the cross, he's still using this language of, yeah, the Father's with me. He's not going to abandon me. We always work together. Mm. So I think what that means is whatever it means for God to forsake his son at the cross, I don't think it's saying that God has left Mm. the son. I don't think there's a separation between Jesus and his father at that point. Rather, the forsaken language, I think, is pointing to the the horrific reality of the wrath of God that Jesus Mm. experienced on the cross. Mm. This this utterly devastating punishment, you know, the the wrath of the infinite God upon the sins of the whole of humanity, like that, that was the way in which he was forsaken. Yes. But even as Jesus experienced that, the Father was with him, the Father loves him. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, another side of the question is, how can you love someone even as you pour out your wrath upon them? Like yeah. that, that, that's something that boggles the mind as well. Yeah. And there's kind of analogies you can think about at that point. Like, uh, I think the idea of discipline is, is something that's similar. You know, mm-hmm. a parent who loves their child will still express anger and will bring kind of um, even punishment to, to teach and to, to discipline. I don't think that's necessarily exactly what's going on at the cross, but there's this, that, I mean, it's an analogy, right? Like you can love someone and still bring sure uh, adverse circumstances yes. if you like, yeah. And often you do that because you, you have a, a view to the future, an eye to the future mm. for that. And, and at one level, that's what's going on with the cross, isn't yeah. it? Um, that for the sake of what is ahead, which is both the, the, the glorification of the sun Mm. of the Trinity, but also for the, the in order to forgive the sins of the world, um, God in love punishes His His yeah. Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and so yeah, and we we need to work out how to hold those two things. Yeah. Um, they're not contradictory, but mm. they, there's a degree of tension there. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's two things that we tend to think. Oh, if you love you either love someone or hate someone. You know, yes. that's in our kind of would be small black and white. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but I think God is bigger than that, and mm. especially what He's doing at the cross. This is, you know, all the purposes of history are coming together, mm. and it's something significant happening here. 
So to say that Jesus was forsaken, we have to say that, yeah, because the scriptures say it. But what does that mean? I think it's Jesus is with God even as he's experiencing the wrath of God. Okay. All right. Um, Yeah, that's really helpful, mate. Thank you. Um, Let's move on. A slightly different tack here. Um, uh, Throughout John 15, um, Jesus is sort of utilizing this this extended metaphor of the vine. Mm. Um, You mentioned in your talk on Sunday, um, you said that Christ's soil is kind of the... uh, Christ's love is the the soil soil in which um, healthy disciples grow. grow. Um, and someone's texted in, sort of uh, just trying to take you to task a little bit, I think, um, <laughs> to say, look, wh- why, did, why did you change the metaphor to soil? Mm. Um, uh, you know, the vine's the metaphor Jesus uses, and, yeah. you know, we've got this idea of connection to the vine, and of, of uh, God, you know, we have Jesus' life, life-giving blood flowing through our veins is the, is the language that they, this person's used, mm. um, and they're, they're sort of saying... Um, that's that's the image much more important so than feeding on soil um and then sort of following up saying um that the love of christ needs to flow through our veins um even more than truth and truth is vital what do you think about that you got a a response in terms of that comment yeah always welcome people trying to take me to task yeah i'm I'm happy to, (laughs) to respond yeah love getting to think hard about it so thank you for pushing me it's worth saying that Soil, the, the language of soil isn't in the passage. That is uh, something that I've kind of introduced. So, important to state that. Uh, I don't, yeah, Jesus is not the soil in the sense that John 15 says it. But the reason why I want to talk about soil is uh, partly to, to distinguish Jesus from his love because Jesus says, I am the vine. And I think that, you know, that idea of us being connected to him and his person, that's kind of that connection. So I really wanted to have kind of another way to speak in this kind of organic language, mm. but without using the vine again, I guess. So soil is the thing that I picked to help us try and expand this like, you know, yeah, organic yeah. picture of growth. That's yeah. really what I was trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want to say that Jesus' love is not so much the soil as the, you know, the water and the nutrients coming up from the soil, then yeah, one level on power to you. That sounds sure. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you can choose to make the language work in a way that's more helpful to you because we're just, we're just trying to find a meta- metaphor to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the second half of the question they're thinking about, the distinction between truth and love, is, is something I do want to pick up on. Mm. Yeah, so I think the question said, love, the love of Christ needs to flow through our veins even more than truth. And I think sometimes there's an, an unhelpful way of thinking that, that pits love and truth against each other, almost mm. as if they were... You know, either you have to kind of meditate on the truth of the gospel and that's this like kind of intellectual thing, but really that just leads you to like a an intellectualism, I guess, mm, like a, a coldness or Yeah. Something. Kind of like the Revelation two, the church in Ephesus that yeah. it, you know, really, yeah. really strong but forsaken our love, you know. Yeah. Whereas love, that's like, you know, that's kind of feeling and that's organic and Yeah, yeah. yeah. But pitting love and truth against each other, it's not the way that the Bible puts it. Like mm. Jesus talks just as much about truth as he talks about love. Again, like John chapter 8, which I mentioned just before, like Jesus, he almost uses a similar kind of language talking about truth this time. So John chapter 8, verse uh, 31, he says, you know, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, Mm. then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm. So, you know, in John 15, he's talking about, I'll remain in me and bear fruit. That's how you prove to be my disciples. John chapter 8, he says, if you hold to the truth, that's how you prove you're my disciples. Mm. Like, both are equally part of it. Like, yeah, they're both. Right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Like, right thinking is a, an integral part of our relationship to Jesus. And that, that's not separate from love. Like, yes. the two go together. Yeah, yeah. No, that's helpful. And we don't want to build an, a, a sort of false dichotomy there. You're either mm. a love person or a truth person. Um, it's a both end for Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we're going to get into that next week as we think about 
Jesus' words, even in fifth, chapter fifteen, when he's talking about the yeah. vine, he says, "Remain in my words." You know, so we're gonna yeah. we're gonna yeah. think about the truth side of it in the week yeah. to come. All right, very good. Um, you mentioned just in your answer there about the the, the church in Revelation chapter two that you took us to, um, yeah. the, talking about the church in Ephesus, mm. um, who um, got lots of good works and and don't tolerate false teaching and. Uh, uh, you, you made the point that this is an orthodox church, I think yep. you, you said on, on Sunday. I did, yeah. Um, as, as you spoke about. But their problem is that they are lacking in, they've forsaken their first love. They've, they've sort of um, lost that zeal of, of love that they had at the start. Yeah. Um, someone's just texted in, um, two-word question, define orthodoxy. Um, so yeah. not 100% sure what's behind the question there, but you, you sort of used it in a, in a passing sense. So mm. give you a chance just to flesh that out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the word orthodoxy is a... It's a teaching doctrine kind of word. So the it comes from Greek root words, and when you kind of look at those, it it really means like straight teaching or, mm. or so right ortho, doctrine. Sort of straight, like yeah. The orthodontist, straight yeah. teeth. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then dox um, uh, is, is a teaching word, isn't it? Yeah, it's like yeah. a yeah dogma, like those dogma, kinds of things right. are related. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we're talking about yeah, I guess sound doctrine, like the the gospel truth versus falsehood mm. and error, and that's the point that. Jesus is making in chapter two, he says, you know, I, you, you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested them. You've found them to be false. Mm. So they're an orthodox church in the sense that they hold up the standard of, of truth that the gospel gives and they, they measure people against that and say, no, you're a false teacher. We don't have anything to do with you. Mm. So that's the, the kind of broader sense in which we use the word orthodoxy. I mean, another way we use the word orthodoxy is, you know, it's a, it's a, church denominational word like we talk mm. about the eastern orthodox church sure, the so, greek orthodox church yeah russian orthodox like yeah, there's yeah. a there's a kind of a, a branch of church thing and that's one of those kind of accidents of history which i get a little bit peeved at because mm. why did it you know that church over there gets the they claim the orthodox church when mm. orthodox is a word that's not just about a particular denomination it's a it goes to the heart of what what the bible's saying like mm. And, I mean, to be frank, there are matters that I think the Orthodox Church has wrong, and in which they're not Orthodox. So mm. that kind of language can be unhelpful. What we're getting at really is that, yeah, what does the Bible say? What is the, the upright measure of truth? Mm. What are we called to believe as yeah. Christians based on what the Bible says? Yeah, and that's an important thing for us to, to hunt for, isn't it? Like, we're always learning and we're always um, willing to let Scripture kind of correct what we might hold to be orthodox because ultimately yeah. scripture is the, is the measure of all orthodoxy yeah, exactly. rather than any any one of us mm. um but that i think sometimes people are a little bit anti ideas like words like orthodox you know because, yeah. because things like uh, it feels a bit dogmatic or it feels a bit like you're just sort of um it's going to stir up arguments or disagreements against people and yet mm. there is a call um the, the thing that Jesus praises about this church in Revelation is that they have, they are orthodox. That they yeah. do, they love the truth. They they um, push push back on false teaching, and that is a positive thing. Absolutely. Um, so, so we want to say orthodoxy is a good thing. I think there can be a, a, a push back and say, oh, that's all right, as long as we know that God loves us, whatever else you believe, mm. that's okay with you. A uh, bit of the you do you kind of thing. Yeah, that's that, right. That you mentioned on Sunday. Yeah. Sometimes we feel like it's just a bit too hard. Like if Christians have disagreed about things in the bible for so long like surely there's just no real answer you know like yeah. we don't have to worry about the really fine points like that's just kind of yeah like you said get the general vibe god loves us yeah there's that kind of anti-theological thinking that, yeah. that we can have sometimes yes and i'd want to push against that i yeah. think yeah like you've been saying we we're called to care about truth mm -hmm. like everything that god has written for us in scripture is important and some bits are 
harder than others to figure out. And yeah, yeah. like there are bits we're going to have to work hard at. And yeah. and disagreement can actually provoke a, a clearer, you know, a more focused reading of the Bible sometimes that yeah. if we, you know, engage in love with other people who we do disagree with, that can sharpen our convictions and, and mm. help us get a clearer picture of who yeah. God has revealed himself to be. But yeah, you can be the, the orthodoxy person who mm. has no love. You can be the, you know, I don't know, there are, you could be the person out there in your growth group who is just so ready to, you know, jump down someone else's throat as soon as they say something that you think is even slightly wrong. And I think that's just a fairly mm. unhelpful, unloving person to be. Like, we want to care about the truth. I mean, the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, I think, is really helpful. When he's talking about uh, maturity and being built up and, you know, we want to reach this unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, he uses a lot of kind of doctrine words. Mm. But when he's talking about it, he says... The way to do it, verse 15, is speaking the truth in love. Yeah. Which is such a, such a simple phrase, but so profound, I think. You speak the truth, orthodoxy matters. Yeah. But you speak the truth in love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, and there's two extremes to sort of watch out for there. There's, as you've been saying, the um, truth without love, which is a bit like sandpaper. You know, it's... it's, it's Yeah, that's, that's it's good. It's helpful. Like, like, there's truth <laughs> there, but it just grates you, you know? Yeah. And then on the other side, love without truth is a bit more like jelly, you know? It's sort of <laughs> just floppy and wobbly and nothing can't yeah, really yeah. hold anything up. And uh, we don't really want either one of those extremes we we need to speak the truth in love and that, mm. that's part of i think that would be the correction for the for the ephesus church in, yeah. in um, revelation 2 that they wouldn't give up on their commitment to orthodoxy but they would um not have left their love behind mm. yeah so. yeah i mean it's interesting yeah i mean this is a bit of an aside but sure like paul yeah, writes we, we can do a side. yeah that's right yeah i mean paul paul writes this this letter here to the church in ephesus Mm. He's the, he's telling them to speak the truth in love, mm. and this is the same church that Jesus addresses mm. in Revelation, which which I think most people probably agree Revelation is written after mm. Ephesians. So it seems like what happened: the church in Ephesus didn't quite get the message. They yet. didn't hear this warning, and yeah. so it gets more more stern in exactly. Revelation too. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. I don't and know and what I to mean, that, but... again, further aside, where where that passage ends, I believe, is is with the sternest of all warnings that he that Jesus will come and take away their lampstand. Yeah, they don't repent, and the yeah. lampstand is the image for the church. So if a church loses that, they lose their love. Jesus says, "Look, I, I, you won't be a church anymore. Mm. Take your lampstand away." And that's just a. It's, I think it's the, for me the most terrifying of all the warnings in in, yeah. the, in the churches. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, we, we digress. Let, yeah, it, let us right. <laughs> let us return to the uh, to the question. So, um, yeah. uh, fourth question here, really helpful one. Uh, if I'm someone lacking joy in Jesus, it may not just be a matter of knowledge. It may also be due to an unconfessed sin, uh, lack of forgiveness, fear, some unbelief, or even a physical condition such as depression. Mm. What do we say to people like this? Yeah, and to ask this question, thank you. This is a really important one for us to think about. You may have been listening to the talk on Sunday and, and you hear that language of joy and, and sometimes like that can be a hard thing to hear, like particularly if you are someone who has struggled with something like depression for a really long time and mm. you've prayed for God to take it away and he hasn't yet and you, you, you want to have joy but it just feels like it's not there. Like, yeah, this, this can be really tough to wrestle with. Mm. Um, I think this, whoever asked this question already, there's, there's so much perception in this because I think it's right. There is all this sort of stuff that can get in the way of joy like yeah it's not just something like depression something like unconfessed sin i think absolutely like if you are hearing the the love of christ and and you want to rejoice in that but on the other hand your life is is marred by some like serious sin like if you are you know trying to reflect on the love of christ but then every night you're just succumbing to this pornography addiction 
that is going to kill your joy. Absolutely. Like there's no way around that. Yeah. So sometimes the the thing that we need to hear is the love of Christ actually pulls us away from sin and calls us to conf- confess our sin and mm. bring it all to Jesus because he's the one who has the power to forgive. Yeah. And sometimes, I think, well, always, yeah, hearing his love and, and being drawn to repent, that is the path to joy, Yeah. the path away from sin. And that, that is at one level... I don't want to make it simplistic here, but mm. that is connected to to knowledge in one regard, though, isn't it? In, yeah. in a knowledge of the love of God. To, to, yeah. And that, sorry to harp on Ephesians, but um, <laughs> the, the prayer in Ephesians three is that you would know the the depth and width and breadth of the love of God mm. in Christ Jesus. That that's to, it uses the love idea, but it talks about knowing it. Um, and yeah. part of the reason I think sometimes we stay in unconfessed sin is because we don't really believe the love of God. Mm. Um, we, we don't want to bring something out into the light because we don't really believe deep down that God that God will forgive us or that there can be. And so we yeah. hide it. We try and deal with it on ourselves. We try and pretend it's not there. We try and fix it up and work our way out of it or something like that. Mm. Rather than what actually needs to happen to me, someone needs to say to us, "Hey." Friend, brother, sister, Christ loves you and has paid for that sin, and you can mm. confess it freely and be, be freed from it. Whereas I think we often hold back because we actually really don't believe the the doctrine that we sort of claim yeah. to. Does that make sense, Sam? Yeah, totally. And so I think tied up in these things, are, we, we need to just keep, we need to keep the gospel front and center, mm. and, and we need to really believe it and let it shape us, such, such that if if a similar thing they mentioned on there was lack of forgiveness. Um, why am I not forgiving someone? Well, it ultimately comes down to my, my um, how, how the love of God is functioning mm. in my life. And I need, if I'm not forgiving, then there's something going wrong with my, um, the, the way I'm thinking about the love of God. For me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think these things are really tied up with God's love. Yeah. Yeah. Agree with you. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we, I mean, so sort of staying on this track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the the next question is it might help us to tease this out a little bit, mm. which is just a simple question. How how do we make this a deep part of our fellowship? Um, so so you really helpfully raised these ideas for us on yeah. uh, on Sunday that we need to be disciples of Christ who are just reveling and and, and in the love of God and and full of joy because of that. Um, just delighting in the love of God for us. Mm. But, but then then you come to church and you're grabbing a cup of tea afterwards and it feels all a bit banal sometimes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It feels a bit sort of like, oh, we talked about the sport again. Yeah, yeah or, right. or the weather or, you yeah. know. Um, how do we turn this for, for, into a deep part of our fellowship? Yeah, a great question and something that I would love to see and be a part of as well. Yeah, I don't think that I'm an expert in, in living a life that's saturated by this. But something we want to grow towards, absolutely. Mm. I think we need to give each other the permission not to be superficial. Mm. Sometimes it does feel like to speak of the deep things of God, which are the fundamental heartbeat of life, which binds us together. We almost feel like it's too it's too much. Like I don't want to, mm. you know, give someone the burden of drawing them into this like you know conversation about the things that really matter, just in case they're just not really feeling it, or like you know I don't know mm. if they had a hard week or maybe there's not. Which is a funny way to think because if you've had a hard week, the thing you need to hear more than anything is the love of God. That's I think. it. Yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah, I think we need to give each other the permission to ask big questions. Mm. I didn't talk about this in my talk, but I, I think that Mike, who was preaching at the other congregations, he he mentioned he was going to give people the question to go away with, which is mm. after church, ask each other what's something you love about God. Yes. It is. It is okay to ask that question of someone after church. In fact, it's more than okay. That's that's a wonderful thing that you could do to yes to serve others and and not just ask the question. Another thing that's important to think is is that 
it's one thing to, to want to see this grow in other people, but if we want to be a church that, that, that treats these things seriously and does have this deep, abiding sense of the love of God, the way to, to do that is to be an example and to, mm. to start yourself. Yeah. So you can, you can be the person who, who says, hey, you know, I'm hearing about the love of Christ, how awesome is this? Like, maybe remember this thing I love about God or yeah. this way that God has really, like, cared for me this week. Like, that, I mean, when you stop and think about it, there's so many ways that God shows our love for us back in history, in the cross, but in the present, every day, like, there's, there's always something for us to, to yeah. share and celebrate and rejoice in together. Yeah. So, I mean, a practical step there is maybe, like, part of the way that you could prepare for church is to, to be ready to encourage and to be ready to, to ask deep questions and share deep things yourself. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes that's one of the things that I need most is sometimes it's just such a rush to get to church on Sunday morning that by the time I get there and by the time I'm talking to someone, I, I haven't even... You know, barely woken up, and my mind is still kind of in, sure. um, you know, toddler breakfast land and things like that. But to, yeah, if we can get to church and have already thought, yeah, actually, what has, how have I experienced the love of God this week? Mm. How can I share that with someone? Yeah, I think that's, that's really helpful. That because mm. that, it can be easy to think, I wish my church was different, and yeah, and we always that that's normal at one level because our church is never um, all that it could be and all mm. that, it, that it will be in God's grace. Um, and so we should, we should pray for our church and pray for others um, yeah. that, that God would, would grow them. But, but I think that's really helpful that at the end of the day, the, the one person's um, response to these things that you can control is your own. Yeah. Um, and so coming with that mindset of, oh, I'm going to... And even if someone else doesn't have a good answer for what do you appreciate about, appreciate about the love of God, mm. that's okay. I'm, my goal is to encourage them and I'll, I'll try and share with them the thing that I've... Um, yeah appreciated about God's love this week and or whatever the question might be that we're, we're, we're thinking about on any, any given week mm. yeah yeah with you okay um, uh, last one is more, more of a more of a recommendation I guess than a question um, someone says I'd also like the chance to plug more resources okay. I, I, I've been reading a book called uh, Enjoying God by Tim Chester that touches on a number of aspects of Jack's sermon would recommend there you go wonderful yeah I haven't read that book myself but I have read things by Tim Chess that I found helpful, so that yeah, that'd be a great thing to go away and have a look at. I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah and like there's there are so many books that have helped me and stretched me in this kind of mm-hmm. kind of way. One that I haven't read cover to cover, but I've dipped into. If you if you really want to think deep and want to do some some hard theological thinking about this, then the Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards yeah. would be a great thing to read. So Jonathan Edwards, you know, huge big thinking American theologian from the 1700s has really thought hard about this whole... So affections is an older word for emotions, really mm. thinking about, yeah, what does it mean to be uh, a person who is gripped by the love of God and, and full of joy? So, yeah, yeah if you want to have a read of that, or, yeah, that would be a great thing to get stuck into. Uh, another thing I've found helpful, I mean, John Piper's Desiring God is a modern classic on, on this. Um, but John Piper's got another book that I've found even more helpful, I think. He has this book called When I Don't Desire God, the fight for joy and I, was, I read that book oh, a good 10 years ago when I was going through a time and, and was not really having a, a great time in life and that was a book that really helped me to think deep about when you are finding it hard to rejoice in God and you are praying for joy it doesn't seem to come how do you how do you think that through yeah. what's the next steps there yeah that's another book that I would recommend as, as well yeah yeah great um, the, yeah um, we're also pushing a, a book on our bookstore at the moment mm. you, you can really grow um, yeah which I think if you you know you can grab any any Sunday at church if, you, if you're looking for something that's pretty simple and, and um, sort of uh, digestible yeah um, on this topic so 
um, yeah, but great to great to be reading widely. Um, yeah, and if you've got things that that you found helpful, we'd love to hear about them, and um, you can you can let us know. Yeah, maybe one last thing to say on that. I think I mentioned something like this on the talk, but it's not just books about joy that will grow mm. you in joy as well. Yeah, I think sometimes like when we start to talk about the language of growth, you can start to think, all right, I've got to grow. So what yeah. can I? How can how can I think about growing? Just yeah, kind of look yeah, down yeah. at myself. Like how yes. can I make myself grow? Yes. But this is you know all that I've been saying over this this last week in this, in this talk is trying to say the way we grow is by, not by looking inwards and yes. at ourselves it's by looking up yes. by looking at the love of God so really one of the things you can do to grow your joy the best I think is to keep reading well I mean firstly to keep reading the scriptures like we've been yeah. saying obviously yeah. um, but then to read big books about God because yeah. it's realising just how big God is and how vast his love is those are the things that I think will drive our growth the yeah. most I, I think for me one of the things that grew my appreciation of God more than anything uh, in terms of a, a book that was the, um, not the Bible um, is The Cross of Christ by, by John mm. Stott you know I think for me I've read that book two or three times now once as a quite a young Christian and once um, quite recently actually um, and uh, yeah just just grows my appreciation of, of what God has done for me in Christ uh, very helpfully very yeah just po- pointing me back to the scriptures but mm. pushing me theologically to appreciate uh, all that Jesus has done yeah great, great book great one totally yeah. yeah very good Jack that's it for today um, thank you for your work thanks for helping us through these uh, questions today uh, this coming Sunday we're, we're doing a little bit more on uh, on healthy things grow more mm. in, more in John 15 this week that's right and particularly drilling into this focus on the word of Christ so mm. remaining in Jesus remaining in his word is what he says okay. so we're really thinking about yeah how does how does how do the scriptures grow us uh, and how can we live that in practice I guess we're going to be thinking about what it means to be someone who engages with the Bible. Mm. And this isn't going to be just like a, you know, guilt trip. you got to read your Bible more. you got to read your Bible more. Like, I do pray and hope that mm. out of this we will be engaged with the Bible more. But we want to find some helpful ways to push each other and help each other and, and grow yeah, nice. in positive ways thinking about grappling with this, the text of Scripture. All right. Well, uh, that'll do us for today, I think. And uh, looking forward to this coming Sunday. We'll see you at church. Um, thanks for your questions. Keep sending them in. Keep writing them on your Connect cards. We, we love them. And yeah. uh, we want to keep wrestling with them and, and helping you. Um, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll uh, see you on Sunday. We'll see you then.